It is the 200 level episode 119, The Kingfisher Cometh. Mike Carpenter from the basement. Yes, we're going to talk Chief Alaniwak today a little bit. We're going to talk the orange and blue belted Kingfisher. This is the big news in Champaign-Urbana. Kind of a funny story. We'll have some fun with it. But also, respect the fact that on both sides of this argument, there are some genuine emotions. And I think some, uh, how do I say, noble intentions. Yes, even for the pro-chief crowd. And I want to get to that in a second because far too often we get into arguments that lack nuance and immediately castigate a good and an evil, a right or a wrong. There's enough silliness in this mascot debate that we can have fun with it while not necessarily making fun of everybody involved. That's not the intention. I'll say that. But we will be talking a little bit of mascot stuff in a bit. We'll be talking Big Ten football and how in this college football landscape with 21 games postponed or canceled so far that the Big Ten may actually come out on the other side of this looking brilliant. Whether or not they intended to, they may be the one conference that gets this thing done with minimal interruptions. Was that their plan back in August when they canceled things rather abruptly or postponed them? I don't know about that. But uh, best or worst intentions aside, it may work out, okay, if you're a Big Ten football fan. And want to take a little bit of a deep dive into Illini basketball, the roster, and some encouraging news on the recruiting front, and what that may look like for next year's roster, which we're familiar with enough of the names, but going down that list and checking out the guards and the wings and the bigs, I think next year's team is particularly enticing, even when you consider the fact that Io, Kofi, Trent, and DeMonte will be gone. Huge losses, no doubt, but you're beginning to see how Brad Underwood is building this thing for NCAA tournament appearance after tournament appearance over and over, top four finishes in the Big Ten. I'm really excited, and and Steve Breitweiser, co-host emeritus, of the 200 level. He was singing the praises of Brad Underwood from the get-go, that Brad Underwood had a plan, and he was implementing that plan, even when things looked really bad the first and second year, and even into the early parts of the third year. Brightweiser was steadfast, and I think that his steadfastness, if that's a word, is paying off, because Brad Underwood certainly seems to have things under control, and even though recruiting for 2021 slowed after the Luke Good commitment, which I love that commitment. I know that Lante loves that commitment. A white shooting guard from Indiana. They don't come to Illinois, but they certainly annoy us when they're on Purdue or Indiana. So we actually got that archetype that's, I don't think, ever played in a Illini uniform. It's pretty cool. But we need to add to that. We need to get that momentum rolling. There's a chance that maybe this staff is doing just that. So we'll get into Illini basketball later. Plenty to talk about. Mascots, Big Ten football, Illini basketball. We're going to have fun along the way. I'm excited. A lot of exciting things going on in the Carpenter household. We got a vacation with my wife and I to celebrate our second anniversary. Heading up to the northern part of Michigan this weekend. Very secluded. Nice little cottage. Just kind of taking a break. And I say that we've been at home so much that can you really take a break from being at home, even if you're working at home, but it will be nice to clear the head a little bit, forget about all the craziness that's going on. And God knows there is tons of that politically, socially, and just tune out. And that's what we're going to do for four days. And then on top of that, in mid-October, we are moving into our new house. There will be a new studio for the 200 level. And uh, this is something where the timing of it could not be any better in terms of being occupied and not allowing myself to get fully immersed into election season because that is what October and November and, oh God, hopefully not, December is going to all be about. Everything on the news will be about the next four years of this country. That's heavy stuff. 
And it's stuff that I'm not going to ignore, but I'm happy to have the diversion working on this new house, getting the new studio set up, and on top of that, Illini football and Illini basketball returning. So here is what the 200 level looks like. I mentioned this on the podcast Monday, bears mentioning again. As we get into the football and basketball seasons, you can count on at least two 200 levels every week. One earlier in the week, let's say a Tuesday or Wednesday, often with Harry Black, reflecting on the previous Illini football game. On Saturdays, we will have fourth quarter slash post-game reaction podcast, immediate reactions to get out there for you. On top of that, I will be appearing with Jeremy on the Illini Inquirer podcast every Monday. Monday's with Mike. We got it started. We've done a couple of them, and we will be doing that every week for sure when Illini football gets going again. And in the meantime... The next month, I'll still be doing a few of those with him as our schedules align. But excited to do all those things. Your your CARP podcast schedule looks like Mondays with Jeremy and the Alana Inquirer podcast, Tuesday or Wednesday, midweek podcast for the 200 level, and then Saturdays, fourth quarter slash immediate reaction, post-game reaction for Alana football. Before you know it, it's going to be mid-November. I think November 25th is the first date of college basketball. And we are going to be having post-game reactions for basketball games. So a lot of podcasting coming up. If for whatever reason, between now and Illini football season, we only put out one in a given week, I guarantee you we will be more than making that up as the games start again. I've said this for six months now, that as much as I've enjoyed the different topics we've talked about, and we aren't going to shy away from that, at its core, this is still a sports podcast. So to be able to talk about games, Illini football and basketball games, I've been craving that for months. I know you have too. We're getting back to it. It's fall, my favorite season, apart from the fact that it's going to be winter soon and we're all going to be stuck indoors. But thank goodness we got sports as a diversion. It looks like they are here to stay. All right, the 200 level is brought to you by DPDO. Online at dpdo.com for all the best deals and prices. You can get a custom zone with any topping you want. Some of their favorites, the Maui Wowie, the buffer zone, that was our go-to back in the college days. DPDO, I think, has been there since I was a freshman in college. So it is a fixture on campus, but not just there, the entire Champaign-Urbana community. And that's where it gets even better. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. Just order a line at dpdo.com for all the best deals and prices. dpdo.com. State Farm agent Brian Hansen, working with Brian on this new house. It has been the easiest uh, interaction I've ever had with an insurance person before. I knew that you could trust him before. I know even more after going through this process that there's no one else I'd rather have handling my insurance business. So I can personally vouch for this. State Farm agent Brian Hansen, online at brianismyguy.com. You can trust them, the entire staff. And not only are they experts in this stuff, but they're local products. East Central Illinois, they know what's going on in this community. So go to brianismyguy.com. It's not just a cool domain name. You can ask Trevor about that. But it's a place that when you go, you are sure to get the best insurance service in the Champaign-Urbana area and really East Central Illinois. Brian Hansen, great guy, great insurance agent, online at brianismyguy.com. And finally, 4th and Kirby, online at 4th and today... I got my new shirt. It's called Big Guy or Big Man. What is it? Big Guy. That's right. Illini football from a 1978 program, Illinois Purdue. A really cool logo, vintage, like all the other stuff from fourthandkirby.com. And you can use coupon code 200 level or the 200 level to get 10% off your order at fourthandkirby.com. 
Awesome t-shirt. They fit great. The quality is tremendous. Uh, Got to also thank, of course, Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network for being partners with the 200 level. All right, we got the formalities out of the way. It is a Thursday. I'm getting this out there for the long weekend. We have Monday off of school. We'll get a podcast early next week. We'll get a Mondays with Mike. Potentially, I might have to call Jeremy on the road when we're coming back from Michigan on Monday. But it has been, oddly enough, a quiet news week for Illini sports. There might be some recruiting news, which we'll talk about here in a bit for the basketball team, and that would be great news, no doubt. But one of the few bits of news we've had in the Illini sports world is about mascots. And oh boy, when you mention mascot, that word alone in Champaign-Urbana, East Central Illinois, that really gets the phone lines and the text lines buzzing. This from News Gazette writer Ben Zichterman, UI Senate backs Kingfisher mascot. This is from Monday, three days ago, six months after students voted in a non-binding poll in favor of making the belted Kingfisher the University of Illinois mascot. The academic Senate voted overwhelmingly in favor of it as well. At Monday's meeting, 105 senators voted in favor of the resolution, two were against it, and four abstained. 105 to 2 to 4. That's a pretty impressive spread. The resolution called on Chancellor Robert Jones to create the new mascot, to publicly condemn any public display of the former Chief Illiniwek, and to consider the orange and blue Kingfisher as a possible mascot. Quote, I believe this offers the necessary closure to a conversation that has started well before today, end quote, said student Senator Dana Yun, one of the resolution sponsors. After the student vote in the spring, UI spokeswoman Robin Kaler said there were no plans to choose a mascot at that time. This is back in the spring. Quote, there was no process in place to choose a new mascot, she said after Monday's vote. Resolutions from the Academic Senate are shared with the university administration and the board of trustees, but they are advisory only. End quote. The Chancellor's Commission on Native Imagery, Reconciliation, and Healing released a report in June 2019 that recommended a formal public retirement of Chief Alonowick, but left open the question of a new mascot. Several advocates of the Kingfisher spoke at Monday's meeting, touting its colors and its being native to Illinois. And they said that having a mascot will help the university move on from Chief Alonowick, which was retired in 2007. Quote, unfortunately, there's a good portion of our campus that still uh, attributes racist imagery to their Illinois pride. End quote. That's from Senator Sophia Sinecrot. Sorry. Uh, student Senator Akil Guparan compared the UI situation to that of the Washington football team, which recently dropped the Redskins name. Quote, that's resulted in a profound loss of identity for its fans because they don't have something new to attach to. He said it's stuck in limbo right now. End quote. And faculty Senator William Marr, the director of University Libraries Archives, said Chief Alonowek, quote, has really weighed down this university for even beyond my 40 years at the university, end quote. Spencer Holsey, who created the design last school year as a senior, said he was surprised by Monday's vote. Quote, the support of professors and faculty was certainly great to see, Holsey wrote in an email. I was absolutely astounded by such a consensus on such a controversial topic. I guess people are just ready for some positive changes or maybe just as curious as I am to how this will play out. End quote. No one spoke against the Kingfisher at Monday's meeting. All right. Lots to unpack there. Let's start with the chief side of things. That always got people going on the text line or the phone line. So back in 93.5, we purposely avoided it. It's a conversation that for me, after the initial shock of it, and I will admit in 2007, it was a shock. I remember distinctly getting the email that Chief Alonowak had one more game to perform it felt like the rug had been pulled out from under us. And for me, having grown up in Champaign-Urbana, there were certainly emotions tied up in it. That was a weird night. 
where you had the senior night for that team that just a couple weeks before was the Jamar Smith, Brian Carwell car accident. There was a really bad energy going on with that team. And then you have Chief getting retired and it felt like, oh my God, everything I know about Illini sports, it's gone. So part of that identity and being a fan was certainly attached to Chief Illiniwek. I enjoyed the performances. I felt proud of having Chief Illiniwek. That's going to sound a little bit weird, right? I was proud of a guy dancing at halftime. But I do think that the symbolism overall was well-intentioned. However, I also understand why well-intentioned is not good enough. That's not a viable enough excuse to have a Native American mascot. And this is where I am sympathetic to both arguments. I'm sympathetic to pro-chief people because I too was there with the emotional attachment, with the uh, identity as an Illini fan tied into that performance and tied into that imagery. And I think we can agree, objectively, one of the coolest logos, they stopped using that logo back in the early 90s, but the chief logo itself is badass. I mean, we talk about the Blackhawks logo, Chief Five Feathers, right? It looks cool. Aesthetically, it is very cool. Chief Alinawak, same thing. But the performance, I can see why that was troubling, and really any Native American imagery, because you are appropriating someone else's culture. You're having, more often than not, a white guy perform this dance. And we can say, well, it was sanctioned by this tribe or that tribe. The thing is, though, there are so many disparate uh, strands of Native American tribes that even if one says, yeah, that's okay, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's okay with the majority of them. I wrote all these different papers in high school. I remember especially if there had to be an argumentative uh, paper, persuasive paper, often I chose the chief route. And I would make these arguments. And I don't, again, I don't disagree with the more noble intentions behind it, right? I don't think that the people that instituted Chief Alonawek are inherently racist, or the people that supported Chief Alonawek are inherently racist. I think the people that go that route, that immediately condemn any chief supporter as racist, that is detrimental to any conversation. Now let's go to the other side here with the Kingfisher mascot. This is a bird, and birds are not always the most fearsome things. It is a cool enough looking bird, but in terms of the imagery, it certainly doesn't pack the punch for a lot of older Illini fans, for sure, that Chief Illiniwek did, understandably. There's also the question, do you need a mascot anyway? And I go back and forth on this as well. If you get a new mascot, does it help you move on? I think for the older fans, if anything, it dredges up ghosts from the past. It gets them that much more pissed off, rightly or wrongly. I would say if you're still getting pissed off about Chief 13 years after the fact, you got to find a hobby. You have to. But nonetheless, I know being in Lot 31 and being in the State Farm Center that there are going to be many adverse reactions if you institute this bird mascot, however cool it may be, however native it is to Illinois, and the fact that its belt is orange and blue. That is pretty cool. But regardless, I'm not going to the university anymore. I'm not a student. It is part of who I am. I grew up in this community. I went there. I got my degree from the University of Illinois. I'm proud of that. But I'm not an active student. And when it comes to universities and colleges and any school, high schools, middle schools, students need to have a sense of ownership. It's important that they have that sense of ownership and they feel like they are contributing to their own school. So if the student body is overwhelmingly in support of putting in a Kingfisher mascot, how am I, an alum from 2009, going to say, hell no. It's been over a decade since I've been there. For a lot of the people that are really upset about this thing, it's been far longer than a decade since they've either attended the university or since they started buying season tickets and all of that. You are, of course, going to get the threats of people saying, that's it, 
I'm not a donor anymore. I'm not buying season tickets. I'm not going to buy my parking pass, all that stuff. You're going to get that inevitably. And that would happen even if you had the most badass mascot idea. One example would be the Doughboy, the World War I Doughboy, which made to me a lot of sense because it is a direct tie-in to the Fighting Illini name. But regardless, if it's not Chief Illiniwek, whatever the next mascot is, and there will be one someday, whatever the next mascot is, it's going to cause an uproar for the pro-chief portion of this fan base. Expect it. Anticipate it. I am. All that said, though, I'm not going to cast dispersions on the pro-chief crowd. Again, I've been there. I relate. I understand it. I do not think that people, just because they're pro-chief, are inherently racist. I think that is far too broad of a brush to paint with. But I do find a new narrative emerging that is a little bit troubling. It's overtly political. And, of course, someone would counter and say, well, CARP, getting rid of Chief Alonowick, that was politically correct. It was, but we could argue that just because it's politically correct doesn't mean it was a bad thing to do. But from Dave Wisnowski, and this is where it gets a little bit tricky because Dave was on 93.5 quite a bit with this, and over the years, very congenial uh, conversations that we had on the show, I think that there was a, a thing after the Illini Michigan State, the comeback in November during football season where he had put a tweet out there about, okay, anyone that ever questioned Lovey Smith, you better write him a, a letter of apology. And I kind of went after him on Twitter for that, thinking that was a pretty ridiculous thing to say in the heat of what was a great moment for any Illini fan, regardless of how they felt about Lovey Smith. And I don't know if there's been much communication since. I hope that despite the tongue-in-cheek nature of my response that that was not interpreted as some sort of anti-Dave Wisnowski thing. That was not meant to be the case. But there was something, and he's not the only one to perpetuate this narrative, that this Kingfisher mascot is a slippery slope kind of deal. Let me read this tweet from a couple days ago from Dave. The Kingfisher mascot is a Trojan horse to those who ultimately will want to change the Illini nickname. Don't let yourself be fooled otherwise. If you give inches, the campus activist will later insist on miles. Here's the problem with that tweet, apart from the conspiratorial, paranoid nature of it, is that this slippery slope argument has not yet come to pass. Let me give you examples. Chief Alonawek is removed in 2007. The Fighting Illini name was not touched. It was not even part of the conversation back in 2007. A few years ago, the war chant was removed. No other discussions about changing the Fighting Illini nickname. In fact, that discussion has yet to happen at least... a. Anything I've ever heard, publicly or otherwise, the Fighting Illini nickname has never been up for negotiation. So this idea that putting a Kingfisher bird as your mascot is the beginning of the end for the Fighting Illini name, there is no context with which to operate on that narrative. None. Other than, as I mentioned, conspiratorial, oh, the liberal activists, they're going to come and take our name away. First of all, that shows a lack of education about the Fighting Illini nickname in the first place, which is not... Native American. The Fighting Illini nickname, this is directly from the university archives uh, on archives.library.illinois.edu. And I think we got a pretty good library. This is evidence from the Daily Illini in the early to mid-teens indicates that the term Fighting Illini first came into use in regard to athletic teams. However, once the connection was made to soldiers during World War I, Fighting Illini became a powerful way to memorialize those Illini who had gone off to fight in Europe. In other words... Listeners, this was well over a decade before the introduction of Chief Alaniwek, or at least a decade. 
This predates Chief Alinawak. The name predates any Native American associations whatsoever. The history of Chief is an entirely different bag. You already were the Fighting Illini. It's already part of your stadium and the colonnades or the columns with the names on them from World War I fighters. Fighting Illini, that's where it comes from. That name is not going to be under attack. Maybe I'm being naive about this. I don't think so, though. I think that to argue a Kingfisher bird mascot is the beginning of the end, is a Trojan horse, as Dave Wyshynowski and others, I don't know, the Dave Bouchons of the world, maybe, would argue, I don't buy that argument. And in fact, I think it's, I think it's kind of ridiculous. That goes outside of just being, I was pro-chief, I don't think we should have a mascot. And Dave made a point that I don't necessarily disagree with here, that Michigan, the Wolverines, the Indiana Hoosiers, they don't have a mascot. They're the Hoosiers, they're the Wolverines, it's fine. I don't disagree with that. I don't know if bringing in a Kingfisher mascot is going to do a whole lot of good for moving on from Chief Lanawek. That, th- that ghost is always going to be there. In a way, I got so sick of the Chief Alonawek thing that it's out of hell with it. It was just a guy dancing around. When I know full well that when I was younger, I did appreciate it for what it was, right? But that's the tricky thing here, is that arguments like Dave's or arguments like people who would say any Chief Alonawek supporter is racist, that is ignoring any sort of nuance. And you can't have a good faith discussion when you're entering the conversation from that realm. To enter it from you must be racist if you have any chief apparel in your house, or to enter it from saying, oh, it's a Trojan horse, these liberal activists are going to be taking over campus before you know it, that is not a place to come into this conversation and come out with any sort of positive outcome. This is from a former chief, Dan Maloney. The Kingfisher mascot idea, I've got so many thoughts and insights into this. Dave is 100% correct. This is a Trojan horse. Do not believe this is the end. They are coming after the name, the music, every tradition. It's all on the chopping block. Again. The name has nothing to do with Native American imagery. Can we talk about the war chant real quick? I do remember doing the Tay and Jay show with Lon that day. We had a remote, actually Tay and Carp. It was early in the days of Tay and Carp, 2017. And we went to Rocks in St. Joe. And that day there was the announcement that the war chant would not be played at games. I remember thinking, well, that is a little bit weird because I got so used to hearing that on third downs. But as a music person, and really you don't even need to be a musician or someone who consumes that much music in the first place, it was very clear that that is just token Hollywood Indian music, tribal music that they would have played in the old cowboy Indian movies with John Wayne and whoever else, right? That's what the war chant was. And to me, that's not a tradition that I really cared worth saving. It is a picking your battle sort of thing. On one hand, people that are pro-chief or pro-war chant for that matter would say, well, you take this away, what's next? I get why there is that apprehension and why there is that anxiety almost that if you let go of this thing, what's next? Okay, slippery slope argument. There's plenty of those. But on the counter, I would argue the two things that have been removed, keep this in mind, the two things that have been removed are Chief Alonawek, blatant Native American imagery, and the war chant, blatant Native American music, or I should say token Cowboys and Indians movie music. That's what it was, okay? That is not something that indicates that this is going to get all the way down to the name or other traditions. Now, is the three and one going to be on the chopping block someday? Maybe so, because people keep saying chief at the end of it. Or the fact that people envision chief. So we can have that argument. That's a separate thing. I'm not going to say just because you say chief at the end of three and one, you are jeopardizing that tradition. But it is intrinsically linked to chief Alaniwek. It is. 
So yeah, it may be on the chopping block. Is that a good or bad thing? That's going to come down to one's perspective. Tricky waters to wade. I, I remember the chief Alonawak thing. It's in the lots or in different restaurants. It's this sort of unspoken, hey, hey, <laughs> we're pro-chief here, okay? And it's unfortunately turned into a, a purely political kind of thing where the chief Alonawak argument gets lumped into so many larger political and social conversations uh, about progress or about the language that we use. And take it from me, as someone with a journalism degree, as someone that does not like euphemistic language, I don't like the so-called language police either. But I, again, don't think that this applies. This is imagery, Native American imagery, Native American music that's been removed. That has nothing to do with putting a bird mascot in place of Chief Alonawek, if they even do that. Which, by the way, who knows if they will. I think the university, they got bigger fish to fry. Also, this conspiratorial thing about the campus activist. This has been going on for a long time. Are campuses a little bit more liberal than other institutions? Yeah. Yeah, they are. Undoubtedly. But when we use these blanket terms like the campus activist, you know, oh God, or what are they all Antifa? Well, what's going on here? Do we need to look out in Champaign Urbana? Are the campus activists coming to take all of our old norms and traditions away from us? I don't know. I, I get the feeling that in this climate with COVID 19, with all the financial considerations that the university has to deal with, I don't think they're going to be touching this for a while, and they are not going to be getting rid of the Fighting Illini nickname. It is branded everywhere. They have moved past the Native American connotations of Fighting Illini, which only came after the fact of Chief Illiniwek. So let's just kind of summarize the argument here. I do not think this is a conspiratorial, slippery slope kind of thing, where the campus activists are going to be taking away everything that you love about Fighting Illini athletics, okay? And moreover, the Fighting Illini name has to do with World War I. It is not a Native American thing. If they're going after the Native American stuff, yeah, maybe 3 and 1 is next. War chant gone. Chief Illiniwek gone. But this, what else is there to take away after that? I don't think this is a situation where people are trying to burn down the whole athletic department. I understand that that is a matter of perspective and that Dave and other people would say, Carp, you're being naive about this. But I'm sorry. I don't think, I don't think Robert Jones is having any secret meetings where he says, guys, we need to tear this whole thing down. You know the money that's tied up in this too, with donors? Can you imagine the outcry if the fighting line name was taken away? God knows there was a lot of blowback when Chief was taken away. Ron Gunther was still athletic director. I don't know what the numbers would have been, but even with the relationships he had and the old money that was kind of tied in to the athletic department, there's no doubt they took a hit back in 2007, but they weathered that storm. I don't think they would if they changed the name Fighting Illini. I wouldn't be comfortable with it. I think that'd be a silly thing to do. But you know what? I don't think it's going to happen. That's not to say you shouldn't be on guard and make sure that you don't hold institutions accountable and let them get away with whatever they want to get away with. But this, I don't think, is a battle worth fighting or one that you even need to fight. Just my two cents. All right, that's it for the mascot talk. How about that? I told you back in the day I used to do these persuasive papers in high school. And pro chief, I still got stuff. Um, you know, I got a chief line of what kind of statuette sort of thing. I got this really beautiful print, uh, actual like art piece of Chief Illiniwek that my aunt gave me way back in the day. Karen and I have talked. It's like, okay, is it going to be on display in the new house? We got it in the office right now with other Illini stuff. And I like it. You know, it, it doesn't offend me. And I think that's the tricky balance, right? Is it doesn't offend me. I recognize why it could be insensitive. Um, I think intention matters. 
But I also understand that even with best intentions, it still doesn't make it an okay thing to do. All right, that's the gray area. Here's some other gray areas, college football right now, and how we have postponement after postponement. According to CBS Sports, there have been 21 games affected by COVID-19, most postponements coming as a result of contact tracing protocols that require players to quarantine for 14 days if they're deemed to have been in high-risk contact with someone who has tested positive for the coronavirus. This article from CBSSports.com continues, some teams such as Houston, Memphis, Baylor, Florida Atlantic, Virginia Tech, Arkansas State, and Rice have already experienced multiple game disruptions. Even those who have not seen a game postponed yet are living day by day as COVID-19 test results and subsequent contact tracing dictate if and how effectively they will be able to play as scheduled. Some leagues, like the Big 12 and SEC, have established a minimum player threshold requiring that teams have a certain number of players available at specific positions. The SEC is scheduled to start September 29th, the Big Ten on October 24th, the Pac-12 eyeing a return in the weeks to follow. Now, as we have this rash of postponements, 21 is a lot. I don't think that number is going to go down. You can probably count on about five, six, seven games every week that get postponed, but ultimately some of those postponements are going to be canceled unless you're playing until late December, at which point I don't think these schools are going to touch that. There is still a football playoff. So that brings me to the Big Ten and all the discussions we had. The exa- Talk about exhausting. You know, Chief Alonowick, that conversation can be exhausting. The Big Ten, let them play, parent letters and all that crap. That was exhausting. And they're playing. And how much of that is due to parent pressure? I don't know. I'm not going to try to figure that out. I think money talks more than parent letters. But regardless, as the Big Ten is coming back, it makes you wonder, okay, How effectively can they do this? And there's an article from Popular Science that gets into specifically how the Big Ten is different from other conferences with their testing. Big Ten football players will get daily COVID-19 tests, but that might not be good enough. This is from Rachel Zisk. Fast, frequent testing may be less reliable, but could help teams identify infections as they happen. This article from Popular Science gets into details about this. Athletes will be tested daily for COVID-19 beginning September 30th, and the season is now scheduled to begin the weekend of October 23rd and 24th. The daily rapid test or antigen test, antigen, however you want to pronounce it, which identify proteins on the surface of the virus rather than its genetic information. They're cheaper and faster, but less accurate than PCR, that's molecular test. So a positive antigen test will uh, result, would be followed up by a PCR test. And if that result is confirmed, the athlete is then removed from play for a minimum of 21 days and will need to pass a cardiac exam before returning. The testing measures echo the findings of a recent study by researchers from Stanford, the University of California, San Francisco, and Harvard Medical School. They try to determine how much testing should be required in a high-volume environment, such as a hospital, to contain an outbreak. The study, carried out via a 10-month simulation, suggested a minimum of two tests per week when test results were returned within 24 hours. Elizabeth Chen and Dr. Nathan Lowe, two of the co-authors of the study, say the findings support the frequent testing adopted by the conference. Quote, our simulations revealed that increasing the frequency of testing and minimizing testing result delays were the most important factors in reducing transmission, even when compared against lower sensitivity rates, such as antigen test, said Chen. The benefit of daily antigen testing is in its frequency rather than its accuracy. Even if a player's antigen test returns a false negative one day, a result which most often means that the player has the virus, but is both asymptomatic and not contagious. The likelihood of the test returning false negatives two or three times in a row 
is very low. This bodes well for the football conference as athletes will be able to confirm whether or not they have the virus within a few days of infection and likely before it is able to spread. There are still unanswered questions about the efficacy of daily rapid testing alone. Antigen tests typically have a higher rate of false negatives than PCR tests. With the sensitivity, that's the percentage of people with COVID-19 who test positive for the virus, between 50 and 90%. Quidel, or Quidel, the supplier of antigen tests for the Pac-12 conference, asserts that their tests have a 96.7% sensitivity. The Big Ten did not indicate the source of their test in the statement. Okay, so in layman's terms, very cool article from Popular Science, recommend you reading it, but in layman's terms, you take the antigen test, 50 to 90% sensitivity, so it's not quite as accurate, but the more that you take of those tests, the less chances there are that you're going to get a second or a third false positive, right? It eventually is very accurate within the second or third test. If you test positive in this antigen test, then you take a PCR, which is the molecular test, far more accurate, not quite as quick or as cheap but you would get that within 24 hours. And then that would confirm, in fact, you need to shut that person down for the next 21 days. After that, before they can return to play, they get the heart condition check, all that. Okay, it seems thorough to me. Is it foolproof? No, none of this is. Nothing would be foolproof, I guess, during a pandemic. But it's as close as you're going to get. And beginning September 30th, a full 24 days before the start of the season, I think this could work. As the Big 12 inevitably runs into postponements because they don't have that combination of testing. And as the SEC gets ramped up, that will be the next big litmus test. Can they get it done? But I got to think that of all these leagues, the Big 10 is the one that can get nine games in nine weeks. And if there are people that don't play, it's not going to be an entire team. It's going to be maybe four guys here, five guys there. But they can identify early enough so there's not a full team outbreak that would disrupt scheduling. It takes me back to the last month and all the crap that the Big Ten got. Nationally, the Clay Travises of the world, angry parents, of course, coming from a place of genuine emotion, wanting to see their kids play. But even a recent article where Doug Kramer Sr. spoke with Jeremy, not one mention, and the blind spot is baffling to me, not one mention about how anything in this pandemic has the potential for community spread. So the desire to see football, as much as I have it too, is a little bit minimized by the fact that, yeah, that could potentially contribute to spread right here in Champaign-Urbana, even with all the testing protocols and all that, right? Again, nothing is foolproof. But given the circumstances and the context of all this, the Big Ten may in fact be the one to do this and do it the best. And on the other side of this, if they get nine games done in nine weeks and they send in all likelihood Ohio State or maybe a Penn State to the football playoff, everybody's happy. Nobody's complaining. Kevin Warren will serve a long time as Big Ten commissioner. It's not going to be completely forgotten. I get that. But, you know, when the games start, and even when the announcement that the games would return in five weeks, amazing how all is quiet on the Western Front. No one's pissed off anymore, right? (laughs) I guess it speaks to the unifying force of sports, is that no matter where you're at on the let them play movement, you're just happy that sports are back. I think it proves a couple things. One, that the bulk of the argument from parents, and let's be honest about this, the bulk of the argument about uh, from these parents had nothing to do with health and safety. It had to do with the fact that they want to watch their kids play football. I would have respected it more if they just said that. And I guess actually some of the letters were so poorly written that they in fact did say that, right? <laughs> some of them were so poorly written that they didn't even try to hide the fact that eh, public safety, who cares? 
right? And then on the other side of this equation, the sports media types that some people accused of not wanting sports to return. I mean, I would have been accused of that. What? I want sports to come back. Of course I do. So it's amazing the unifying force. All of a sudden, that division that we had a couple weeks ago, it's gone because Big Ten football will be back. I am rooting for the Big Ten, not just because I want to see the games carried out successfully, but if I can be completely honest with you, I also want to see the Big Ten carry this out. Nine games in nine weeks, no postponements, no cancellations, because really a postponement at that point is a cancellation. I want them to pull it off so that anyone that was giving them the mountain of crap flying in the face of all the scientific evidence that, hey, maybe playing football during a pandemic, you might want to actually get a a really good infrastructure in place before you do that. All those people, the protest up in Rosemont outside the Fogo de Chao, what what optics that was. TGI Fridays was unavailable, apparently. You bet your ass I'm rooting for the Big Ten to get this done, and they won't have to say a word. Kevin Warren doesn't need to go out and have any victory lap, but he can sit back around Christmas time when he got a team or two in the football playoff, smoke a nice cigar and drink a nice scotch and say, God, for all the crap I got, guess who came out on top? We did, the Big Ten. Also the fact that in December, now all these postponements and other leagues, they're going to be stretching into December a little bit too, but man, the spotlight during holiday season is going to be on Big Ten football, coinciding with the return of college basketball. Amazing. And keep in mind too, Yeah, the NFL is going to be going on. But the NHL, NBA, those are going to be done. Of course, baseball is not going to be playing. Big Ten football will be right behind NFL football for the biggest sports attraction in the month of December. It works out about as beautifully as you could hope for. It really does. How well Illinois does in all this? I don't want to say it's secondary. I mean, on one hand, the thing I'm most excited for is just the return of Big Ten football and Illini football. And then the secondary concern is how good will Illinois be? If you haven't already, we did the Dare to Dream exercise with Trevor and Harry. Five and three is my Dare to Dream. I I don't dare go six and two because I think there's just too many holes. And there's too many decent teams in the Big Ten. Maybe not great, but there's not really any bad team on your schedule apart from Rutgers. Everything else is even or better than you are. But one thing we didn't broach in that episode, and I didn't feel like we had to, was the possibility of Illinois not playing one of their nine games. I think they'll play all of them. I think there's a team that has the best chance of that in the conference that has the best chance of playing all nine of its games. It would be Illinois and the infrastructure we have here. Reason to be proud of this university. And by the way, kudos to the students because the numbers keep going down. I don't think they're going to have to send anyone home or shut down the semester. They might actually pull this off. That's a hell of an accomplishment to do so safely. So I'm talking good vibes all around here for the Big Ten, for the University of Illinois. In these last six months of the podcast, some of you would have heard it. I really question leadership on all fronts, right? From the president of the country to chancellors and presidents of universities that didn't really know how to handle this whole pandemic thing. And I felt like a lot of the choices were purely for money. And I still think that may be the case. But in the U of I's defense even with the kind of silly notion that, hey, when kids come back to campus, they aren't going to party. Yeah, right. Well, they did. But it does show the strength of this testing infrastructure, the quarantine stuff they got going over there, that they were able to knock it down. We're getting around like 30 cases a day. At its peak, it was around, what, 2, 250 for a day or so, and then it climbed right back down. Robert Jones, looking good. President Colleen, looking good. Illinois, leading the way. Other Big Ten schools, they're testing 
pales in comparison. Here we are, the University of Illinois. I wish we could hang a national championship banner for that. I don't think you can. But I'll take two things this year. I'll take three. I'll take a five and three Illini football record. I'll take an Illini basketball Final Four appearance and Big Ten title. And I'll take the fact that Illinois kicked everyone else's ass in the Big Ten with the way they handled COVID-19. That's a trifecta that is actually attainable. All right, one more thing. Speaking of Illini basketball, some good whispers about Jordan Nesbitt. Six foot six, wing. St. Louis is the other school that's going after him. What, Travis Ford? Remember him from back in the day? He got, of course, Jordan Goodwin. That was a heartbreaking loss. And Jordan Goodwin went on to have a pretty good college basketball career. So a six foot six wing, 73rd in the nation, really good four star player. For a 2021 class where you have Luke Good, and we love that pickup. I mentioned Lon and his affinity for those pesky shooting guards from Indiana. We never seemed to get them. When we did, it was Jalen Coleman-Lands, and that doesn't really count. No offense, Jalen Coleman-Lands. But if you were to get Jordan Esbitt, that would be a nice shot in the arm for a 2021 class that the momentum has slowed a little bit. Surprisingly so, given the fact that you have Iowa and Kofi coming back, presumably a very good year upcoming for Brad Underwood, a return to the NCAA tournament, potential conference title, and a team that is primed to make a deep run, not just an appearance, but a deep run in the NCAA tournament. You are poised to establish yourselves as a top four Big Ten team right now. And that's not just for this year's team. They'll be top four in the Big Ten. I would lay ridiculous amounts of money on them being top four. But the question is next year when you don't have Iowa and Kofi or Trent, and I'm going to throw my good guy, DeMonte Williams, in there too, because he is, I think, going to have a really good senior year. You need to build that depth around it. Jordan Nesbitt, let's say he commits to Illinois 2021. That would be him and Luke Good as your freshman for next season. I would not be surprised if you get another, what, transfer that has two years of eligibility. It seems like that's a thing that Underwood really likes to target. Or you get another four-year player. Maybe this Nesbitt commitment, if it happens, like I said, would be that shot in the arm. But looking at that roster for next year, the reason I'm excited for next year and beyond, after the Iowa and Kofi era, let's call it, is the fact that Adam Miller and Andre Crabello are your cornerstones. That's your backcourt. And it will be next year, along with Hutcherson, who, man, oh, man, between him and Grandison, the amount of hype coming out for those two guys in the two years that they have of eligibility. I want to temper my enthusiasm because I have flashbacks to the Alex Legion experiment. But even if you hit on one of those guys, that's enough. But a backcourt of Adam Miller, Andre Curbelo, you throw Luke Good in there. And that's but at six foot six, kind of a tweener. You can play him at the wing. You can play him at the two. You have Benjamin Bosnan's Verdank, BBV. Kind of an experiment. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. You got Georgie at the four. You have Coleman Hawkins at the four. You have Hamlin and Lieb at the five. <laughs> That's where we'll figure out if they can't get some more depth at the five. Because right now, I, I suppose you could play Hawkins or, or Georgie there. But other than that, I do like that roster. And here's the other thing I noticed too. Brad Underwood is bringing in size. It seems like everyone other than Andre Crabello is 6'6". And this actually takes me back a couple years ago. Tan Carp was going on. I was on vacation. And of course, that was the week that Brad Underwood came in. So maybe that was the DIA hinting at something. And he said specifically on that broadcast, positionless basketball, Golden State Warriors. I remember laughing at it at the time thinking, okay, well, we're talking about one of the best NBA teams of all time. You're talking about a team that in two years has not won a lot. But at the end of the day, you are starting to see this combination of 6'6", 6'7", guys that can shoot, 
that have speed, that have strength. And that's a bruising team right there. A talented team, a bruising team, and one that I think embodies what Underwood's trying to build. This goes back to Breitweiser and how steadfast he's been from the beginning about Brad Underwood. And you're seeing them target guys that fit their system. And also, now we have a prototype. A prototype Brad Underwood player between 6'5 and 6'7, the ability to shoot, good speed, good size. And I know they don't grow on trees, but if you can surround yourself with eight, maybe nine legitimate 6'6, six, 6'7 six, six, guys, I'll take my chances. In this college basketball world, I'll take my chances. Are you going to get a Kofi every year? Nah. Are you going to get a difference maker like Io every year? Not necessarily. But I'm holding on to this hope that Andre Crabello is going to be remembered every bit as much as Io. And I know this is coming from the guy, Fanboy Carp, who told you that Mark Smith was the biggest recruitment for Illinois since D. Brown. Whoops. So I'm not really a pro evaluator. But with Andre Crabello, the X factor, if you want to call it that, the fact that he'll be here for four years, barring just a ridiculous stretch uh, where he turns into an NBA player sooner rather than later, that's the kind of difference maker for a program. And we've seen an Andre Crabello type time and time again go through the Michigan State program, be there for four years, annoy the hell out of every other team, and yet lead them inevitably to a couple conference titles and a Final Four appearance. Andre Crabello is that guy. Adam Miller, a stud. You give me those guys, I'll fill a roster around them and feel pretty good about it. So this is exciting to me that maybe the 2021 class, which has been relatively quiet, maybe they get that shot in the arm, maybe they get things going, and they can fill out the roster for next year. Because Io, Kofi, Trent, and DeMonte, that's a big loss. That is a huge loss. And I don't want to downplay that, but I do think you are getting closer to the point where even with that loss, you can sustain it. You can make another tournament. You can go back to the days where Illinois made tournament after tournament and finished top four every single year, and you knew that they would be relevant in the Big Ten conversation. Would I go so far as to predict the Big Ten title for next year's team? No. Am I going to be excited for it? Absolutely. That is a far cry from the last 15 years of Illini basketball. I say 15. Would that be right? 15 years ago was 04, 05. Let's say the last 12. Really, since 2008, it's just been a struggle to find that consistency or look a year or two down the road and feel like you're going to be in a great position, if not as good as you are right now, that this coaching staff is at least capable of getting you back to that position and keeping you there. And isn't that the key? It's not just getting to that point, it's staying there. And the longer you stay there, the better chances are that year in, year out, you're going to be right in that conversation, just as we found the opposite. The longer you stay outside of that conversation, and Illinois basketball was outside of that conversation for a decade, it's that much harder to get back in the conversation. Reason to be excited. I'm going to end today's podcast on that positive note. I think overall that was a positive podcast. You know, I'm a positive guy despite the fact that some things do piss me off, get me a little fired up, but I don't have that today. Whether it be the Kingfisher Chief discussion, I find it more interesting and occasionally funny than anything. And if it's a Kingfisher, I don't care. Will I buy a Kingfisher shirt? I don't know. But does it anger me? Nah, it doesn't. Let the kids decide. They're the students, 18 to 22. What ownership do I have? I was there 11 years ago. It's whatever. Uh, of course, college football, feeling good about that. It is September 24th as I record this. That means a month from today, Illinois, Wisconsin. Pretty cool. And of course, that means a podcast immediately after the game. 
fourth quarter, post-game reaction. Really excited to get those started up again. And Illini basketball, listen, it's going to be an awesome year. They will play a college basketball season. Come hell or high water, they're going to get this thing in. And thank goodness for that. I don't care that I won't be able to see them in person. It's a slight bummer. But if this is the year, with all the weird crap going on, where Illinois finally wins that title, national, I'm talking national, do you think I'm going to look back and say, God dang it, why did it have to happen during the pandemic? No. It's going to make it, I think, that much more unique and more fun of a story to talk about. I mean, certainly it'd be memorable, right? But in thinking about how you tell those stories 20, 30 years down the road, and you have all this context of, oh my God, the year before it got cut short because a pandemic came out. We thought that was it. We were never going to see Iowa and Kofi play together again. That Friday, Saturday in early August when they made that announcement. Yeah, we didn't actually go to the State Farm Center for it, but we watched the best Illini team in history. I mean, that might be hyperbole, but we watched one of the best Illini teams in history get all the way to the national title game and finally get over that hump. It could happen. I mean, this could happen. So there's reason to not just be kind of excited. Yeah, I can't wait for basketball. There's reason to think, oh my God, in this weirdest of years, this team could come out on top. So take that with you into this weekend, along with the fact that you could order a calzone from DP Doe. That might have been the worst transition ever. DP Doe online at dpdoe.com. Great custom zones with any topping you want. Favorites like the Maui Wowie and the Buffer Zone. You get the dipping sauce. They will bring it to your door, piping hot, so you don't even have to leave your home. dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices, dpdoe.com. Fourth and Kirby, online at fourthandkirby.com. Got my new Illini football t-shirt. Excited to wear it a month from the day when they play Wisconsin to open the season. It's a really cool logo from a 1978 football program. It's called Big Guy. Check it out at fourthandkirby.com. And when you buy t-shirts from fourthandkirby.com, use coupon code 200 level or the 200 level for 10% off your order at fourthandkirby.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen helping me and Kara out as we make our move. We're getting our home and auto from them. It was super easy, super informative, and I trust him. And you got to trust your insurance person. You just have to. Just like a banker, these are people that are in charge of very important decisions. Uh, They kept us informed of everything that they had to do, and they made it super easy and seamless and smooth. So go online to brianismyguy.com. Can't recommend it enough. Brianismyguy.com for State Farm Agent Brian Hansen. For Illini Inquirer, Champagne Showers Podcast Network, partners with the 200 level. I hope you have a great weekend. It's going to be a long weekend for me and Kara, enjoying the uh, cottage up in northern Michigan, detaching, except for maybe the Bears game on Sunday. Will they win? It's the Falcons. It's more of a question, will the Falcons choke? They might very well do that. But I'd take a 3-0 start, even if the Bears aren't that good. But have a great weekend. Enjoy this beautiful weather. It's my favorite time of year. We'll see you next week. It is the 200 level. <laughs>